0: On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Today on Basic, Duran Duran frontman Simon LeBon.
2: Bob said, I've got to get some of the people who were on the original record over to the States. Otherwise, it's just going to be the whole We Are The World team. I'd blown my voice out in the rehearsal, which is why my note at the end of View To A Kill went, With a view! <laughs> to a kill! <laughs> which is a moment i try to forget. I've actually lost sleep at night thinking about that moment, Aww. thinking, but if only I hadn't given some that bum note in front of, what's it...
3: I was going to say nobody really saw it. A billion
0: billion
2: people were watching Simon Laban go.
3: (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome to Basic, the official podcast of the unofficial history of cable television. I'm Doug Herzog, a former TV executive, and I'm hungry like the wolf.
1: And I'm Jen Cheney, TV critic at Vulture and New York Magazine. And don't say a prayer for me now. Please save it till the morning after.
3: Jen, I, I think it's safe to say that you are pretty excited about today's guest.
1: I am, Doug, because that guest is Simon LeBon, the front man for one of my favorite bands of all time, Duran Duran. Simon and his fellow Wild Boys have been having a moment lately. They were recently inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and they're continuing their successful Future Past Tour.
3: Duran Duran was absolutely huge back in the 80s, and their success was boosted by their incredible music videos, which were running on MTV in heavy rotation. I was, uh, of course, at MTV in those days, and there was honestly nothing bigger than Duran Duran.
1: Yeah, there's no question that Simon and his bandmates were at the forefront of the music video revolution, but their music on its own merits has truly endured, and so has Duran Duran. So please enjoy this conversation with Simon LeBon, and stick around after the interview when Doug and I will have a chat while we light our torch and wave it. Well, we are very, very excited to welcome Simon Laban to the Basic Podcast. First of all, we have to say congratulations on your induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Thank you. Long, 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 long overdue. Happy to see that. And congrats on the Future Past Tour, which I have now seen twice and I will be seeing again uh, in the fall.
2: Well, thank you very much. Um, It's been, we've had the most incredible year and we feel that we kind of kicked off this one in a really good way as well with the uh, with the uh, part of the um the New Year's Eve special
1: mm-hmm. at
2: um Times Square never done that before that was amazing yeah was that fun or was it kind of stressful yeah it was actually it was really interesting um we you know we only had 7 7 minutes and had to really just just make it go as though you're in the middle of a show it was fun I was I was lucky to to be able to to kind of start in the crowd and um and 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 kind of walk through the crowd a little bit which is something that apparently has has very rarely been done for that
3: uh, show mostly because it's a little dangerous in Times Square Simon
2: (laughs) well is that is that because of what is that because of all the traffic
3: well, it's just you know those those uh, those those New Year's Eves. You know, it's, it's tons of people drunk, crazy, and uh, drunk, crazy.
2: You... A million people in in, <laughs> in standing on the street in New York City, and I had to make my way through all of them to get on stage. <laughs> but here you are today. Well done. Exactly, and and yes, and um, unharmed. Amazing, isn't it?
3: Well. Uh, <laughs> But before we jump all the way in, I'll say I got to see you live at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It was a great performance, and uh, it was a great way, great way to kick off the show. And it was really, really, really great great to see you there.
2: That was a great night. It was some some amazing things happened. Then uh, we sort of I, I I sort of I I got to meet Dolly Parton for the first time in my life, and she is somebody who I I don't know anybody does not have a soft spot for Dolly, you know. Mm-hmm. I remember when years and years and years ago when I was watching TV, she came on this chat show called the Russell Harty chat show, and he said, He said, Dolly pardon, is it true that you have a swimming pool in the shape of a butterfly? And she said, Sure thing, honey. Want to come over for a swim sometime? <laughs> I mean, she just wins everybody's heart over. She also has an incredible. I think an, incred- an incredible affection for her followers and her fans. And the music is how she expresses that, that love. Very proud to meet her and to stand next to her and sing Jolene. And mm-hmm. that led on to, um, I was invited to be one of the many participants in her new rock album. Oh, wow. Oh, that's exciting. That's cool. So I've got to sing a song called Blue Tears with, with Dolly. Wow, wow, that's amazing. Did you,
3: were you able to do that in person or was that all done uh, remotely?
2: Uh, we unfortunately we did it from two different sides of the Atlantic Ocean. But you did mm. get to meet her. Yeah, we did. Yeah.
3: So we normally ask folks, this is a show about the glorious days of the 80s and cable television in the 90s and we normally ask people, you know, what their uh, the first time they saw cable. But since you're from the UK and cable's mm-hmm. like a slightly different thing there, we want to ask you, do you remember the first music video you ever saw?
2: Well, but, I mean, the first time I was aware of a of a of a clip to go with to go with a song was there was a song. What is I can't remember the artist's name, but it, it, there was a song called "Eloise" way back, way 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 back, and he made a video. And somebody's going to somebody's going to Google it and find out who 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 that artist was. This is I think in the 1960s. Oh wow! And he made a video with white horses running along a beach behind him uh, as he sang this song it was incredible but you know I was aware of cable very aware of cable uh, when we came and when we came to America on tour we spent a lot of time in hotel rooms and and there was cable in hotel rooms mm-hmm. um, obviously MTV was 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 one of the things that we were absolutely obsessed by there's also this rather naughty thing for young boys called channel J that yeah. was in Man- Manhattan only oh, well that's why we stayed in Manhattan for such a long time. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was naughty. It was, it was kind of very soft porno.
3: Yes, yes. Robin
2: Bird. Yeah, but young, but young men sometimes need yes. yeah, yeah. thing in their lives.
1: Uh, our producer tells us it was Barry Ryan who sang Eloise. Does that sound right?
2: Barry Ryan. Absolutely right. Yes. Barry Ryan. It's one of the first video clips ever made, actually. Wow. And of course, Queen, Queen. Queen had a very important video clip for um, Bohemian Rhapsody. And that was, that was, that was one of the, that was something that showed the world what you could do with a with a video. You could have visual presence all over the world simultaneously.
1: Mm -hmm. So, to go back to the beginning of Duran Duran, you know, there's the famous mythology of you meeting them for the first time at the Rum Runner, coming in with your, your notebook, with your lyrics and everything. Yeah. Uh, and at the time, obviously, you were, you were involved with music, but you were a drama student. Yeah. Do you think that your work in drama, like, helped you as a frontman?
2: Well, I think it really helped in, I mean, in terms of I knew how to use a stage. Because mm-hmm. I'd spent years doing that, and I, I could I could command a stage. I knew where the hot spots were, and I still can do that. I mean, it's, it, it's you know you don't just stand at the front of the stage and and thrash it out. That's 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 not a very very powerful position on stage, right at the front. It's kind of you know a little bit further back has much more um, focus on it. But I think it gave me a real kind of. Uh, a leg up when it came to making music videos because mm-hmm. I was I, I knew how to perform in front of a camera. If you watch a lot of videos from sort of that sort of time, you'll see band members kind of doing silly dances in front of the camera, and they look very self-conscious and they kind of well, I don't really do this normally, you know. I'm just <laughs> I'm, I'm just making a music video, and I feel a bit silly. And, and whereas I was able to do you know proper film acting in 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 sort of giving an example the um the Hungry like the wolf video where mm-hmm. I, I completely took on this sort of slightly i don't know it was it was, a, it was a character who was somewhere in between um indiana jones and um and martin sheen's character in uh, apocalypse now mm-hmm. and i and i and i acted it for real you know i i wasn't i wasn't um I didn't feel self-conscious. And I wasn't indicating that I was performing. Right. Even
3: if, you know prior to MTV's launch, you guys had already made two videos, uh, even before MTV existed. Mm. Did, you, did you sense already that the music video was going to be an important part of you know, what you were doing and how to reach fans?
2: Yeah, absolutely. We were, um, with our very first video, we, and our very first song, Planet Earth, there was interest in Australia. And they had this show called Countdown, and they said, "Well, look, we can't." And the record company said, "We can't we can't afford to fly you out to Australia to be on this TV show, but if you make a video clip, we can send it there and we can put it on TV." So we did, and um, you know, it was a one-day shoot, and it was it was in a little um, studio in in St John's Wood, North London. We we met Russell Mulcahy for the first time, Russell and and. And Eric Fellner, who went, who's gone on to do Working Title, and we made this video clip, which was extraordinary and very powerful. And we did things on 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 camera that we'd have never done before. You know, it it, it worked really well for us.
1: Mm-hmm. And you know, I think the the biggest video you did out of the gate was for Girls on Film, which I think it's the the, the book about MTV calls it the most influential music video of all time, just because it. It ushered in this permission to be, like you said earlier, a little naughty. I, I was rewatching that video, the the long, the night version, which right. was hard to find online. And in fact, it restricted me at first. It was like, "This is restricted content." I'm like, "What do you mean it's right. restricted content?"
2: <laughs> it's extraordinary, isn't it? Okay, in a world where, you know, some of the some of the rap videos are very, very kind of very hard on women i mean you might almost call them misogynistic Mm -hmm. yeah it's it it looks i think it looks quite tame in comparison to those
1: oh yeah now watching it i'm like oh i see this on hbo all the time (laughs) (laughs) what are your memories of that shoot because it was it must have been kind of a surreal experience with everything that's going on with the women and the sumo wrestling and all that stuff. Well, it
2: was. It was. We weren't allowed. We weren't allowed to be in the studio when a lot of the sort of naked stuff was being shot. But somehow, somehow, our managers were allowed to be in there. <laughs> how, how did that come about? So we were. We were very lucky to catch a glimpse of of the girls when they were doing any of their their stuff like that. We kind of did our performances on. You know we had it we had a stage performance and i think that there's a few parts of that where there was there was the, some of the um, other actors in the video in front of us and you know we were getting on with it but we knew we were doing something quite extraordinary and 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 we were breaking new ground you know
1: mhm i mean you guys made that video like a few days after mtv launched so
2: again you were really yeah. uh yeah. ahead of the game and there was a thing do you remember there's a thing at that time called rock america it was the um it, they were video jukeboxes that were put in nightclubs. Yeah, right. It was, mm-hmm. it was like
3: a club DJ thing, and Ed Stein, Ed Steinberg was his Ed name. Steinberg. God. That's right, right. How do you like that, huh?
2: <laughs> <laughs> nice one. I'm glad you remember that. Yeah, nice guy. Very good guy. Yes, very good guy. God, I remember a night with 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 Ed Steinberg <laughs> and Iggy Pop. What oh. Oh, yeah, and that's all I'm going to tell you. That's it? (laughs) That's all you get to know. It was in the 80s. And if you can remember it, you weren't really there.
4: (laughs) Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com/pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com/pantheon.
0: Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts.
1: But that was really the original intent for Girls on Film was to get it in nightclubs and then obviously it, it took on an, another life
2: uh well we kind of wanted to get it in nightclubs and we wanted to get it banned because we yeah. in in our experience anything that was banned suddenly became an underground hit you know like the sex pistols absolutely, absolutely when true. they when they released god save the queen in 1977 you know the charts rolled up to number 1 in the uk and they omitted to even mention the Sex Pistols. They bumped everybody up. The Sex Pistols, who were actually number one, they bumped all the artists up by one place. But that and and that banning of that record and then the BBC wouldn't play it on the radio. You had to listen to Radio Caroline, I think, which was a pirate station, and yeah. and and that made that song such a huge hit because everybody wanted to hear it. So we kind of thought, if we make a we make a video that gets banned on TV, and in fact, we'll make two versions. We'll, get, we'll make one that gets banned, and we'll make one that families can watch um, <laughs> and can you know so you get the, the faces of the guys the faces of the band across and it worked it really worked. Mm-hmm. We had very very astute management and they were the, Paul and Michael Barrow at that time were really smart and they had they read the kind of the, the social kind of climate very well well there's something you guys
1: have been doing on on tour where when you play girls on film you mix in acceptable in the 80s by calvin harris which i thought is such a yeah i love the way that you guys have been doing that sort of you know nodding to your past acknowledging that it was you know things were a little different back then i thought that was really really clever
2: yeah, well, funny enough, we we've, we we've well, girls on film is one of the songs that we've always kind of tried to slip things into, because mm-hmm. it it's just it has this. It's mainly because it is one hundred twenty. I think it's one hundred twenty six beats per minute. I'm, I may mm-hmm. be wrong about that, but it's just just this really great tempo and a lot of other very exciting music has been written in that tempo and it's very easy for us to kind of slip things in and and for it for them to sound right but acceptable in the 80s is is just such a great song
1: Mm
2: -hmm. and we were i remember when that came out i I thought this is about me (laughs) (laughs) this is about me Well sp-
3: speaking of acceptable in the 80s, you know, you you guys were more than acceptable. You were the uh you were the hugest. I was at MTV in in uh, you know, the beginning of your career. What do you remember about your videos taking off and the response you got from MTV and and just, you know, your relationship with MTV in general in those days?
2: Well, I mean, you know, the what we experienced was how it how it translated really into Getting attention on the streets when we're walking around. Suddenly, people were starting to recognize us. You know, we'd go, we'd go places like we'd we walk around New York City, and people would come up to us and ask us for autographs. It was extraordinary. MTV were just—they were an amazing partner for us. You know, we were, and we were amazing partners for them. You know, we were we were some of the people who created the content that they so desperately needed to. um you know to, to to exist and really they were a great vehicle for us to, to show the well show america who who was duran duran mm-hmm. we did things that we used to go to the old studio there do you remember the old studio with a with the the brickwork and all the neon signs of everywhere it was,
3: it, it, yeah yeah down on down on 33rd street yeah yeah sure they it was a dump
2: was it a little bit Sesame Street? Yes. Is kind of a little bit of that vibe in it? Which, no, <laughs> yeah. we love Sesame Street. Can we, can we, okay. We, does anybody here not love Sesame Street? No, no, no. one. No one. It's, it it's the best thing. It was the most important kids' program for decades in the UK
3: yeah but there was a, there was brick walls and maybe a little staircase, like, yeah, I think you're right, actually.
2: <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And different areas that you sit in, and we, were, we, we got it we were invited to do guest VJ slots on, on a regular yeah. basis. I mean, I don't know if you remember. we did one of them with, with Keith Haring. We did a guest VJ slot oh, with wow. Keith Haring, and while Nick and I were doing all the video links, Keith was painting a set. All oh, around, I us. remember that, and he painted right. this enormous that's right, this enormous graffiti set all around us while we did this show. And then, on another time, we had Andy Warhol sitting in between us, and he didn't say a single word, <laughs> just sat there being Andy Warhol. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that you know. I'm glad you mentioned that because I feel, feel like when I was, you know, I was young when you guys started out and I was just obsessed with Duran Duran. And it was such a gateway to learning about these other things. Like I learned about Keith Haring because of you guys. I learned about Andy Warhol because of you guys. Yeah.
2: yeah, it's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, as a uh, you know, they, they often people often talk about the responsibility that one has as an artist, and and, and usually they're thinking in terms of politics. You know, that this you should be making serious political statements with your music, but I think. That that you've got a greater responsibility, especially if your audience is young people, your greatest responsibility is to open their minds and to introduce them to the to the world of art and and creativity. But mm-hmm.
3: well, we were certainly that's a, I mean, we were trying to do that by, you know, we had a lot of interesting people pass through MTV. Yeah. You know, Andy you know had the very first show on MTV. He had something called Andy Warhol's 15 minutes.
2: Oh, right.
3: Which was uh, right. literally the very first very first like real show which was only 15 minutes that we uh, that we did back then.
1: So, I mean the the videos that really really kind of established your image were the ones that you shot in Sri Lanka and then yeah. also Rio yeah. as well. The Sri Lanka ones were notoriously challenging shoots. When I mentioned that to you, what is the first thing that you remember?
2: Elephants, <laughs> elephants, elephants, elephants. We had a gr- I mean, we had a great time with elephants. You know, there was the time in which is in the save a prayer video where um, we were in we were filming it. Just where were we? We I can't remember exactly where we were. We were all staying down at Unawatuna in, in, in a town called Gaul. At the New Oriental Hotel which is amazing it's become an Aman hotel now and we drove out to this place where there there's, there's this kind of it was a river like and there were pools they were like it was it was beautiful it was like a, a river grotto and there were these elephants there with their mahouts who look after them we all sat on the back of the elephants and the, and the elephants put their dip, dip their their trunks in the water and they squirted us and then one one, the sound guys started playing the sound of uh, an, a female elephant in heat mm. over this of the PA system. He thought it was very funny. It drove, honestly, it drove the male elephants crazy. And at one point, there was a, a, a the, an elephant came into the clearing about sort of fifty yards away, and the elephant that that Roger was sitting on decided that it was going to go over and hump it. And it went charging across this pool, climbed up on the back of this elephant and started having a go. All the time with Roger Taylor sitting on the back of it.
1: (laughs) That must have been a little bit scary. Kind of funny, but scary.
2: I think he was quite quite shaken. (laughs) Shaken, not stirred.
3: In terms of videos... You know, uh, it, you've worked with some amazing people on the certainly on the music side, and you know, I know there's a thing where sometimes you might be in a band and you hear somebody else's song, a record, you go, oh, that's interesting. Maybe we should, maybe we should work with that producer or that song. You know, on the video side, would you see other bands' videos and go, hmm, that's interesting. We we maybe we need to meet that director. Yeah. Um, or and were there other bands' videos you you admired?
2: Yeah. Julian Temple, mm-hmm. you know Julian Temple. We saw Julian Temple's work, and we said, and we thought, we got to have him. We've got to have him for Come Undone. Mm. And we did. And we got him for that. Mm-hmm.
3: Do you remember what, uh, what what you saw that uh, brought your attention to Julian?
2: Yes, it was a um, it was a, a, a video that he made for The Cure. Ah, mm. yeah. I think it might have been. I think it was Julian Temple. I think it might have been the one in, where they're in the wardrobe, you know? I might be wrong. Yeah. We'll,
3: we'll, we'll, we'll Google it. We'll
2: Google it. We'll cut it out if you're You, you Google want it. To. Yeah, you go you go ahead and Google it. <laughs>
1: you mentioned doing a lot of things at MTV, guest VJs. You also were on House of Style with Cindy Crawford at one point, who was a guest on this podcast previously. What do you remember about that? I think you guys went to Sears to try on clothes.
2: Yeah, we went to see his, um, and oh, it was just hilarious. Nick made an outfit out of ties, I remember that. Right. And I, and I, found, a, I found a dress, called, <laughs> and it was called a Dash and Go. <laughs> I, and I, I wore a Dash and Go dress. And it, it's not the first time I've worn a dress, I have to tell you. And it probably... Won't be the last time.
3: <laughs> I think that's. I think that's still on YouTube somewhere. Uh, if you if you if you want to go, uh, search it out.
2: I wore a wedding dress um, <laughs> for our Halloween show in um, Las Vegas just a couple of months ago. Oh recently. Oh yeah. Just for the encore, I was allowed to. <laughs> I was allowed to. Hang on. There's a, there's a lot of resistance to that. I can tell you within the band. Oh Charlie, <laughs> you're not going to wear that, are you? And that's it. I'm going. Yeah, I'm bloody well out.
3: You guys also participated in two of the biggest pop culture moments of the '80s. Yes, which was you know one the, the first being uh, the, the do they uh, do they know it's Christmas recording, and then subsequently you were in Philadelphia uh, as I was for Live Aid
2: for Live Aid. Yeah, uh, the, yeah.
3: the next yeah. summer. What do you remember uh, the recording of uh, Do They Know It's Christmas much?
2: Very well, yeah, very well. I can remember. I can't remember where we came in from, but we flew in, and then and got into cars and went to some west studio in in um, west london jumped out and there was i i had no idea that there were going to be so many other artists involved with it because you know i'd because bob had called me and he would called sting on the same day and both of us said we'd do it and apparently bob, bob thought well if i can get these two guys to do it then then everybody, everybody's going to do it so and i'd actually gone along and done a demo uh, with um, with Midge and Bob, so I thought I was singing most of the song, <laughs> <laughs> and that really wasn't the case. And I was especially annoyed when 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 Sir Bono of U two took the line, "Well, thank God it's the night is them instead of you."
1: <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> Well, you know what? I don't think you should feel bad about that because that line has been heavily criticized since, and I think Bono. is Really? Yes, because it sounds sort of condescending, like "Thank God it's them instead of you." Like, eh. like that's a little—I don't know. I know that's not the intent behind it.
2: No, but it's true, though, isn't it? You know, God, I mean, it's that—that well, that is the nature of, of the, of the world. You know, we in the the developed, rich world really have to help the people in the poor world because. We, you know we're very lucky that it isn't us. That's mm-hmm. not condescending. That's mm-hmm. that's 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 responsibility.
1: Sure, sure. I think that was the the intent behind the message. Yeah, it was. Sure. It
2: was. It was. I would. I would. I think that's a very untouchable song. I don't think there's much you can criticise about.
3: Do they know it's Christmas? Mm-hmm. Do you remember it all? How you ended up in Philly versus London uh, that day? Was that just to your due to your massive, you know, popularity or
2: we weren't happy about it to begin with because we knew that the that the London show had, you know, had had some of our, you know, greatest um you know, British uh idols. Um Rock royalty. People we, really, yeah, people we really looked up to. But Bob said, I've got to get some of the people who are on the original record over to the States. Otherwise it's just gonna be the whole we are the world Team. and he really wanted to have some presence of of, of the original kind of endeavour. Mm-hmm. And so we agreed to do it. And also it kind of made sense because we were, you know, um, Power Station, in fact, was on tour mm-hmm. in America at that time. It would have been a, it, there was a... That was a very good reason for it. It was weird. I mean, it was weird watching Andy and John perform with Power Station, and then, and then perform with us. And they'd obviously they'd been on the road with Power Station. And, and they, they, they just looked so much more comfortable with Power Station <laughs> than, than, than we felt they were with us. You know, we'd had two days rehearsal. We hadn't been together for months and months and months. Nick and I had been doing the Arcadia project. Um, And power station had been on the road. I'd blown my voice out in the rehearsal, which is why my note at the end of "View to a Kill" went with a view (laughs) to a kill. (laughs) Which is a moment I tried to forget. I've actually lost sleep at night thinking about that moment. But if only I hadn't given, sung that bum note in front of what's it?
3: I was going to say, nobody really saw it. So, not a big deal. A billion
2: billion people were watching Simon LeBron go, (laughs) and I I can't escape from that. And no matter how much I pretend it didn't happen, it did happen. (laughs) you know and 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 John and Nick was going to me Charlie don't just don't mention that i mean you just don't have to mention it but i can't help mentioning it because i just i think if if i don't mention it people will think i think that nobody noticed <laughs> <laughs> and i know you all did <laughs> you know so i have to mention it
1: obviously as we've been talking a lot about your your work in music videos there people I think, characterised you wrongly as a music video band in the beginning. And I I remember watching interviews with you guys where you were frustrated by that.
2: They tried to characterise us... As lots of different things, not just a video band. I mean, yes, a video band in that they thought we just make videos and that the music is kind of secondary to the to visuals. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's not true. The amount of time that if you, know, if you knew what we did in the studio and you knew how much of our lives we spent writing music and recording it. But they also said we are a boy band who are only successful because of, because of our looks and that we appeal to young women. We did appeal to young women. And actually, that's a massive part of our success. Actually, mm-hmm. it is because we came at a time when the attention of young m- women was very undervalued. You know, mm-hmm. it was a time when rock and the music industry was very much dominated by men. And if you were, if you appealed to young women, then you were kind of, you were, you were sort of written off. You were disregarded mm-hmm, yeah. and considered not as good as the stuff that the guys like, right. mm-hmm. but of course, what they were overlooking was the incredible cultural power and the purchasing power of young women and the and the, and the fact that this is a this is if any audience, any one particular audience was going to make a band massive. That was it. It's young women. Right
3: When I uh, when I joined MTV in 1985, they moved me to New York City in uh, that September, and I arrived at the Parker Meridian Hotel one night. Oh, yes. And you were in the middle, I think, of a run at Madison Square Garden. There's about yes. 400 young girls outside the hotel that go, oh, no, yes. this is a nice welcome for me. <laughs> and they, they were there for days.
2: Extraordinary, yeah, wasn't it? It
3: was, it was really extraordinary. I had to fight my way in and out of the hotel every day.
1: <laughs> well, what I was going to say is that, I, especially looking back on it now, you know, the way that you guys had a very clear idea of how you wanted to put yourselves out there image-wise in addition to your music, like, that's just that's just how people operate now. Like, no one would think – I mean, Beyonce is ex- incredibly uh, conscious of her image and how she puts herself out. There's so many artists are. And just normal people at this point are. And I feel like that's what you guys were doing and people didn't quite – Understand it or, or accept it at the time
2: i agree i think I think we you know we came at the beginning of something you know which is really which was or, or certainly in the in the, in the first sort of the, in the infancy of something mm-hmm. you know you'd had the, you'd had the domination of of sort of 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 rock music up until the mid sort of second half of the seventies and then punk made a huge difference now punk was very much about image and look even though it was it was the kind of look that made a lot of you know grandparents turn in their sleep and you know and hope for better things for their their grandchildren this was (laughs) but to us it was extraordinary and we learned from that that you had to have a strong visual image if you're going to do anything in the entertainment world especially Mm -hmm. music
3: it's now part of the whole mix you have to whoever
2: you are yeah and we took it as far as we could at the time yeah mm-hmm.
3: so speaking of that when the when you know sort of music videos or MTV and music videos began to sort of wane in popularity and MTV moved on to actual you know programming did you and uh, and the band sort of find that liberating? Um, you know, to uh, and especially you know around that time was a time of ordinary world. I think one of your most popular songs, and mm. this is just mm. as you know, music videos are starting to not be the the fad they once yeah. were. Yeah, was that uh, was that a liberating moment for the band
2: at all? Well, I think I think more you know it was our second decade. You know, we'd moved into our second decade when people thought we weren't even going to last for six months, and to have our biggest hit to date happened in our second date and, and it and and it gave us it kind of brought home to us that this was you know, we were real artists and and on a on a personal level, I think it just it gave us so much confidence and even more belief than we had before I and mean, we always had belief but this really vindicated Tiran Duran in the face of all the criticism that we had come up against previously.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean you still make videos now um, you did a really clever one for anniversary on future pass with younger <laughs> versions of yourselves performing while you
2: watched <laughs> we were wondering whether we'd have to take um, Vladimir Putin out yeah right <laughs> But we decided just to leave him in,
1: yeah, Queen Elizabeth was there. It was a great party, yeah. when you do videos now, like do you approach them differently than you did back in the day, or is, or is it really kind of again, let's figure out what what story we're
2: telling with this video yeah but it's it's, it's it's that it mm-hmm. really is that I mean we there's only so much input that you can have as the artist because a lot of it's got to go got to get planned by somebody else you know it gets it gets there's there's a there's a treatment and then there's then there's a storyboard you know and this story gets put down and you only get a very small amount of time to kind of go through that and to and to make any changes if you think if you think it's wrong the other thing is you you know you you obviously you are the person in front of the camera for a lot of the time Mm -hmm. and you can and you can you know influence it that way but i think Basically, we do, we're doing the same thing now that we were doing uh, 40 years ago, really. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. And you're, you're about to go back on tour. You just announced uh, yeah. uh, 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 several yes. dates. Yes. And I know Jen has seen uh, the show uh, a couple times lately on, uh, on, your, on your last go-round. You'll be out there with Niall Rogers and Sheik, the great Niall yep. Rogers and Sheik. And Bastille.
2: Yes, that's exciting.
3: We, we, we've
2: got Bastille with us, and that's a really big deal.
3: What yeah. uh, what else can fan? What else can you tell us about what fans might expect when they come uh, come to see on tour?
2: It's the worst question in the world. <laughs> what can fans expect? Hey, I'm new at this,
3: Simon. Easy. <laughs>
2: expect to like take your knickers off and throw them in the air. <laughs> expect <laughs> amazement. Expect a spiritual experience which will leave you a changed person. <laughs> How about that?
3: That's perfect. That's perfect. Where do I sign
2: up for that? It'll be a great evening of stylistically varied entertainment. Bring your best ears and your best pair of dancing shoes. There you go.
1: <laughs> yeah, I saw you at uh, Meriwether Post and I saw you at Madison Square Garden last year and they were both really great shows. I mean, some I've seen you many, many times and those were some of the best shows that you've ever done.
2: Yes, thank you.
1: And I bought a, a ticket for, uh, for the fall, so...
2: Fantastic. We will be there.
1: So normally the last question that we ask our guests is... What is your favorite basic cable television show of all time? Which you are welcome to answer, or if you have a favorite music video that's not a Duran Duran video, either one of those would be fine.
2: Well, I might, I might give you both of those. Things. Okay, great. I mean, I loved, I always loved George Clinton's Atomic Dog. Mm-hmm. That was a really important one for me. Bow, wow, 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 you be Now, now. <laughs> Uh, favorite cable show? Well, we have we have we have satellite TV here, and my favorite show is the Premiership. Oh, oh live okay.
3: football! And I know I should know this, Simon. Who's your who's your locker as you call it?
2: Uh, Manchester United having a very good season so far. I'm what right? you call a London Red. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <A> London Red. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to go and record my radio show. Can I tell you about my radio show? Yeah, because we're
1: on Sirius XM as well.
2: You're on Sirius XM. So Simon Le Bon Caddy Krasner present a show called Whoosh. Three O's and an exclam- exclamation mark at the end of it. Um, we play mostly new music, people you've never heard of, people who've got like 13 plays on Pandora. <laughs> we love the obscure, the original, the unique, and we talk a lot of flannel. <laughs> and we've been having so much fun doing it. We're we're actually about to record show number. I think it's show number one hundred and something. Wow. wow! We've been doing it a lot.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've listened. It's great.
2: I've listened as
3: well. It's 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 uh, it's very entertaining and uh, informative as you were today.
2: Thank you. Appreciate that.
1: Yeah, Simon, thank you so much for your time today. It was great to talk to you.
2: Yeah, it's been my massive pleasure. Um, I'm really happy to do this and um, see you when we come to America. Yes, Okay. see you
1: then.
3: So the incredibly charming... Simon Laban of Duran Duran. And if you listen to this podcast at all, you probably know that Jen is one of their biggest and longtime fans, a Duran Duran super fan. Is that fair, Jen?
1: I think that's fair to say. All right. People that I I haven't seen in a long time, like that I knew when I was in like middle school or elementary school will be like, do you still like Duran Duran? Because you really (laughs) like Duran Duran.
3: Oh, you were that girl. You were the Duran Duran girl? (laughs) Yeah. So so tell us about that. Like, Like, do you remember when you first saw them, and and what led to your fandom? And like, you know, let's let's go back to 1980. What was it? Three, two? Yeah,
1: probably. I, I I remember seeing them for the first time on some like, I don't know what it was. It was a music show that was on like, I want to say after school. Maybe it wasn't MTV. It was something else. I mean, obviously they were very handsome, so that was a, a big selling point. But then I started listening to their music, and I just just got really. Obsessed with them, and like I was saying to Simon, like it was really like a gateway into learning about, you know, because anything that they were influenced by, I wanted to understand better, whether it was, like I said, Keith Haring, Andy Warhol, the James Bond movies, right. uh, Roxy Music, like all the all the things that they were influenced by, I I kind of started to explore that too. So it was, you know, we make fun of of teenage girls when they're into bands and, and it, you know, they're screaming and stuff, but I do think that, like, it's a really formative moment when you connect with an artist like that. And it really can open your eyes and ears to all kinds of different other art.
3: And then we talked about this with him a little bit, you know, about, you know, they were sort of reputation. they they didn't get the credit they necessarily always deserve because they were seen as a video band. So I I was, I would assume outside of teenage girls, you had to defend yourself a lot as being a Duran Duran fan back in those days.
1: Yeah. I I think you know me well enough to know now that I'm not a violent person. (laughs) But the closest I've ever come to punching someone in the face was in seventh grade when uh, a friend of mine said something really negative about Duran Duran. And I was like, I'm going to hit her. <laughs> but, I, but I was like, no, that's probably not a good idea. Um, so, Don't yes, t- I was I, I took it very, very personally, like to the and point you- where. I was like, I didn't want any other artists to succeed as much as they did. Like, I, I resented Wham! a little bit. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> Let Duran Duran be in, in front here.
3: <laughs> well, they, 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 Duran Duran obviously stood, has stood the test of time. Do you remember the first uh, Duran Duran show you went to?
1: Yes. It was when they were on tour for Seven and the Ragged Tiger. Um, so that was their first big American tour, the one that's like the focus of Sing Blue Silver. And I went at the Cap Center in, in uh, Landover, Maryland. And uh, it was amazing. And the other thing that they were doing, actually, that we didn't talk about, is they put these big video screens up at their shows. And they they would do close-ups of the different guys as they were performing. And I don't know if that was the first time somebody had done that, but it felt like a real novelty. And every time they would close close up on John Taylor or Simon, people would scream their heads off. And I, I don't know if they were the first to do that, but I do feel like it ushered in people really kind of trying to make the band or the artist more visible.
3: I was going to say, I'm not sure they were the first either, but that was the era people were starting to experiment with, with video um, in their shows. And certainly, you know, Duran Duran was at, uh, uh, at the forefront of that. And it's amazing, you know, that now they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I don't think anybody outside of, you know, their young teenage Female fans, you know, back in the 80s would have predicted they would be A, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and B, still going strong and and, you know, kind of remaining relevant, uh, you know, in a way that a lot of the bands they came up with have not and are long gone.
1: Right. I mean, you know, they influenced a lot of artists that were young during that time. Um, You know, Mark Ronson is a huge fan. He's he's worked with them on, on stuff. Timbaland has worked with them. You know, we had Carrie Brownstein on the podcast from Slater Kinney. She was a huge Duran Duran fan. So I think people really underestimated what, what the band meant outside of like, oh, I just have a crush on these guys. Like the, I think their music really did resonate with people and people were very, very loyal, maybe because a lot of people were dismissive of Duran Duran. And it just like forged this sense of loyalty that I think a lot of the fans have maintained over the well years.
3: The, look the music was good the songs were great they had, they had some amazing songs the videos were great um they were they were doing something new they took uh they took some shit for it sometimes but uh i think they have you know truly stood the test of time they've endured and and they deserve to be in the rock and roll hall of fame based on their both their hits and their influence as much as anybody there
1: yeah absolutely uh and just one last anecdote because uh, we were talking about girls on film yep there was this this videotape that had all the Duran Duran videos on it and Girls on Film, the long version was on it. My parents were like, you're not allowed to watch that. <laughs> I could watch all the other videos. I couldn't watch that and I couldn't watch The Chauffeur because there was a naked woman in it. I listened to, I, I obeyed that. I did not <laughs> see the long version of Girls on Film until I was in college. I don't know wow. why I didn't like.
3: You listened to your parents.
1: I listened to my parents. What was I doing?
3: Before we go, Jen, I have one more question for you. So we know Duran Duran is your favorite band, right? Correct?
1: It's, it's a tie between them and you two.
3: Oh, I was going to say, what's your second favorite band?
1: You, uh, well, they're both my favorite.
3: They're both your favorite. Ah, yep. didn't realize that. All right. Yep. Well, maybe we, now we got to try and get Bono on here. We right? really do. Yeah,
1: we really yeah. do.
3: Well, we <laughs> hope you enjoyed our conversation with uh, Simon Bon, and uh, we hope you will join Jen and I next time on BASIC.
1: BASIC is a Pantheon Media production in partnership with Sirius XM.
3: Hosted by Jen Chaney and Doug Herzog. Produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli.
1: Lindley Ehrlich is our assistant producer.
3: Sound design and music by Jerry Danielson.
1: Mixed and mastered by Brian Slusher.
3: Recorded and edited by Zach Spisner.
1: You can find BASIC on Apple Podcasts, the SiriusXM app, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. If you like the show, please rate, review, and share so other people can find us.
3: Don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode.